verse, that means we're going to be in one verse from Proverbs chapter 11. I chose 17. The merciful man does good, uh, good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. It's a great proverb. So for the last 16 weeks, we've been taking a look at what happens to a Christian after they die. The scripture tells us to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5, but that's, there's way more than that. And um, we, you know, there, we've talked about several, we spent a lot of time on a lot of topics uh, waiting for our resurrected body and uh, what's that going to be like in different kind of phases or stages of, e- of, of eternity, uh, what the millennial kingdom will be like and what we'll be doing in it. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been talking about the very end stage, what I, we would, I would call the eternal state. Um, it includes the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and uh, that city. And um, the likelihood from the scriptures that we've been able to, to, to gather information, uh, the likelihood that heaven is going to be a very, very social place. I really think that's true. We'll have this restored, renewed community, and we're going to interact with God, and we're going to interact with each other on a whole different level and um, what, what, what life will be like. But th- there are still some people who do not believe um, that heaven um, is an actual, that, 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 that the New Jerusalem is an actual city. Some actually believe that um, what we read in Revelation 21 and 22 is not physical at all, but instead it's just allegory. It's just an idea. I would point out that the scriptures are very specific when they start talking about the city. They, they, they call, it's called a city over and over and over again. It's called a city. Uh, not only that, but wor- God's word gives it dimensions. It gives it color. It gives us, gives us materials that it's constructed from. It gives it texture. It's laid out. A lot of specifics. It's measures, it, it measures 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles tall. Um, and if, if you just create one base level uh, of, a, of a city of that proportion, that base level would have over two and a quarter million, um, could have two, two and a quarter million square miles of area. It's a, it's a lot. And that's just the, the first level. It's, it's a huge city. We've talked about that. It's not just a big city in terms of what we think are big cities. This is a city that has the volume of a little bit less than the moon. So we are talking about something big. And that's just the new, the, the new Jerusalem. There's still a new earth and a new heavens. And, and, and John, the author of the Revelation, gets a personal tour. Um, and and there, was a, there are only two people in the New Testament that saw heaven, um, the scripture records. One is Paul, and the other is John. Paul, Paul's writings about this don't give us much help at all. He basically says, I was there, but I was, I'm paraphrasing, I was specifically told, don't talk about it. Zip, mom's word. So he got to see it, but not share anything about it. That's interesting because John, on the other hand, was specifically told by God, write this down. And in other places in the Revelation, there are some pretty interesting comments. One says that if you read this book, just read the Revelation. You're going to be blessed by God. God will actually deposit a blessing on you. Oh, I see Terry's reading the Revelation today. Blessing. And so the fact that we're going to read a few scriptures today, if you get nothing else out of our time today, just reading those scriptures, God's going to go, blessing. Blessing right there, right there. right. That's a good deal, right? So it could be a terrible sermon, but you're going to come out better. Okay, so I'm just saying, um, and, but, but there are some other things, too. There's a warning. Don't add to this book. Don't subtract from this book. 
if you do either of those things, the curses that are written in the book are going to land on you. So, th- so, so, so I look at that whole thing and I think, okay, Paul gets to go up, sees, sees it, but is told don't say a single thing. I think what's going on there is God is saying, I'm going to talk about heaven. I'm going to talk about end time things, but I want it written down because I'm very, very particular about the details that I'm going to share. Don't mess with the details. So when we study this, I think this is a, a terrific book for a new believer. Okay, you can ask me later why I think that, because it's kind of a challenging book. I will, I will agree with you on that. But, um, but there, there is so much in there that God wants us to see and to understand, and why. And we'll talk about that a little bit as, as the day goes on. But anyway, so um, last time we looked at a description of the outside of the city, New Jerusalem. Today we're going to look a little bit on the inside. We're going to see what's not there. We'll talk about what is there, who's there, um, what's, who's not there, and what they're doing inside there. So let's just jump in and get into Revelation 21. We'll pick up where we were last time and then move a little bit into Revelation 22, starting in verse 27. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. I'm grateful, Pastor Eric, for your leading this morning and your sensitivity in the Psalms to read to us a passage that the Lord put on your heart, independent of this, that talked about people who carry nighttime with them in their hearts because of what you're carrying, the weight of that. And my prayer in that moment was that the Holy Spirit was going to intervene in whatever your area of need is. And and I I just share that with you, that the Holy Spirit's at work here. So here's this, this, this scripture. There will be no night there. I don't think dark is the absence of light. Darkness is something different. Anyway. Verse, 20, verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and there shall, be not, by no means, there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Get your name in that book. Verse uh, 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, that's significant, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, they, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. God is repeating some things that were in the previous verses. Amen on his word, I agree. John's internal view of the eternal city gives us several characteristics, and so we'll pick up, a, pick up I've picked up five for, for you that we'll share today. Five characteristics about life in the eternal city, this, uh, the new Jerusalem, heaven, the eternal state. First characteristic is proximity. In verse 22, John records that there's no temple. There's, there's, there's no temple. Now, later on, we read, too, that they're going to see his face. This, that's, that's a big deal. 
If you, read, if you remember your Old Testament, the fact that God said, you can't see my face, not because I want to stay hidden from you, but because the glory would basically blast you into nothingness. I mean, that's, not, that's a paraphrase, but <laughs> the fact that they could see God's face is, is significant. There's a proximity there and, uh, and intimacy, and there's no need for a temple in heaven. Now, to ancient people, that was unthinkable. Because every city of any worth had a temple, maybe multiple temples. And Jerusalem had, of course, as its centerpiece, the great temple where God was worshipped, where animals were sacrificed. But the idea here is that we're not going to need one. The Lord God is the temple. And the Lamb, they're the temple. In heaven, you and I will have direct access to God. There's no need of a holy place. No need of a church, no, no need for a cathedral or a chapel or a synagogue or a house of worship. You, you don't need any special worship days. And there's not going to be any separate groups gathering in heaven, grumbling, going, you know, we don't really like this version of heaven. heaven. Let's make our own version. That's not going to happen like it happens here on earth. You know, I heard about a guy who was stranded on a desert island, and uh, a ship came along, and the captain sees him and saves him. And as the captain pulls up to the shore in the little you know, boat to put the guy on it, he knows that there's three huts on the island. And the captain asks him, says, what's the deal? What are the huts? The guy says, well, that's the hut that I live in. And that's, the, that's my church I go to every week. The captain says to him, well, what's that third hut? He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> there's going to be none of that in heaven. We're going to have this constant proximity to God. It's always, and it's always been God's desire to be in close proximity with you and me. That's been a tender thing in God's heart to be with his people. Before the fall, God was walk, he would walk with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden, scripture says. But sin got in there and ruined it. It basically ruined that, creating the separation between God and man. So what the Lord did at that point was he provided a tabernacle and later a temple where he could be worshipped. And even in those places, there still is distance between man and God. You can't just go tumbling into the Holy of Holies and say, hey, God, what's up? There just none, you couldn't walk in. You couldn't just drop in. You couldn't even go directly. According to the mandates, you had to go through a priest and there was this terrible stuff that had to happen to an animal and there were courts and these physical barriers that separated us from God's presence. And, and the sacrifices that the, the whole system was, it was all temporary. It only was a temporary solution, allowing fallen man to worship God. But the Lord Jesus and, and God actually anticipated this. And, it's, and here's one of his great promises. We read this last time, John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. It's always been God's desire to be with us. And Jesus prayed also in John 17, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am then they can see all your glory. You gave the, all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. In 
heaven, you will never feel far from God ever, ever, ever again. You know, if you feel that way today, if you feel lonely, you're never going to ever feel that way again in heaven. You're going to be, you know, relationally, you'll be with God all the time. You'll be in his presence and you're going to see his face. Now, maybe you've, if you've been in the church for any length of time, maybe you at some point have been at, at a camp or a, a revival meeting or uh, in a worship service here or somewhere else where you have sensed in those moments, just almost like the physical presence of the Lord, that you can almost touch him. You sense the love and, and the, the presence and the power of God. And that's what it's going to be like, only way, way better all the time in heaven. No need for a temple because of proximity. The second condition that we'll see in the eternal city is, um, is the majesty or, or the glory. We'd say the glo- God's glory. Here it is in verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God, I would use the word majesty. Time out for that, for that just a moment. You know, if you happen to get invited tomorrow to hop on a plane and go to London and meet the queen they will instruct you to call her your majesty. Okay, I would do it because it's the sensitive cultural thing for me to do. But that's a title of honor. She has no real majesty. We're talking about the real deal here. We're talking about the glory of God, majesty. It's just this, I don't know what it is, but it's not an honorary title. I think we'll know it when we see it. And it will be powerful, and it will be positive, and it will be encouraging, and it will be full of life, and it will be undeniable. The, the majesty, the glory of God. Scripture says, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it, the, and its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. This is a totally different environment than anything we know. This new universe, this new heaven, this new this city. You and I um, depend on the cycles of the sun and the moon. We, we depend on them. It's like it alternates light and dark. It's more than just that. I was talking with somebody this morning and thinking, you know, there's no night there. I wonder, I, I haven't studied this out. This, I, I don't have an answer, so don't ask me after church. We can talk about it. I don't know if we'll sleep in heaven. I, I have our time sleeping if it's light. Maybe we don't need to sleep. Don't know, but that's a rabbit trail. Let's not go there. I hate rabbit trails. But we have this need of these, these cycles and the moon and the sun and that pull, that dance and that gravitational dance that creates you know, our tides, which are important on the earth. The tides are there because it helps the, the, the ocean support life. It, it helps some species have more babies because of the tides. And, and it, does, it has something to do with how the ocean helps clean the earth, the tides. But, channel, but, but, but chapter 21, verse 1 says, there's not going to be a sea. There's no need for a moon to light the night. There's never going to be a night there. It's interesting, you know, so here's a quick recap of of, um, what we stated last week about the city. His first view of the city as they approached it was that it was so well lit that light was pouring out of the place. I mean, it was amazing. This gigantic cube, it's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles, just coming down from heaven towards the earth. It sounds to me like this big giant light show. It's dazzling. First comment. The other thing, too, is that it's this cube 
Um, the other place we find God living in some place or presence in some place in something in the shape of a cube is in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. You can go back and study that. It was 20 cubits by 20, about 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. Um, anyway, and, and the Holy of Holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stored. And um, if you remember your Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant had some tablets in it. It had Aaron's rod. It had a jar of manna. Anyway, um, so, but notice the glory of God's the, the glory of God illuminated. The lamb is its light, light verse 23. It's a, and it's a different kind of light. Virtually every source of light we know, let's turn off the lights, burns up something. Turn off these lights too. Now's the time. I just thought it'd be fun to play with glow sticks. So you got two things going for you today. God's blessing you because we're reading Revelation and you had a glow stick. <laughs> cool, huh? These, I did not get an orange one, Lisa. It's pink. Oh, oh. <laughs> Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> okay, lights back on. But these things are cool as they are. Aren't they cool? Um, but they're going to they're gonna get tired and they're not going to glow anymore. They are. I mean, every source of light you and I have, something somewhere is burning and producing energy and you have to pump all this energy in. But the glory of God doesn't have an end. It's not being consumed by anything. <laughs> in that day, God's you know, God Almighty and the Lamb are going to be the source of light. And um, it's the majesty that fuels it. It's never going to run out. God's not going to say after 20,000 years, you know, I'm kind of tired of shining. I think I'm going to stop. That's just not going to happen. Scripture says there will be no night there. Just think about that for a minute. No night. There's um, a uh, human condition that's... Um, difficult. About 20%, give or take, of, of people who suffer from Alzheimer's um, will present with this condition. It's called sundowners. And some people who don't have uh, Alzheimer's. And along about the part of the day, in the late afternoon, early evening, when the sun goes down, their temperament changes. And they, they, they can exhibit um, restlessness and irritability and confusion, and um, they can become demanding and yelling and... Um, and it's, just, it's a legitimate condition. You can look it up. It's called sundowners. Darkness does something. It, it sometimes does. But there, and there's going to be no night there. The glory of God permeates heaven. It's radiant. It's brilliant. It's majestic. I think about that. I just think about that. When I think about Jesus deciding he was willing to leave that, to come to the earth for 33 years, and to suffer and um, be rejected and scorned and humiliated and beaten and hung and executed on a cross so that I could go and experience that majestic, radiant brilliance for eternity. It's amazing. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley who founded the Methodist Church, Charles Wesley, wrote a song we sing you probably sing it a lot um, in your, at least on your car radio. Hark the Herald Angels sing, and part of the lyrics.
for that song. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That's the gospel in those two phrases. That, there's the gospel in that song. When you sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you are singing and proclaiming the gospel. Because this is Jesus, very God of very God. He, he comes to the earth in all of his splendor and majesty. He leaves all of that. But when he gets here, he's veiled in human flesh. But he does it for a purpose. You're going to like that song better now, aren't you? I mean, you liked it before. Every now and then, um, while he was on the earth, people could see through the veil. There are a few little peaks, Scripture talks about, where they could peek at his glory. One is at the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Peter and James and John, the same John who wrote the Revelation, are there with him. And it's described in Matthew 17. It says, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. I don't know. I can't look at the sun. I want to. There's something about looking at the sun. You want to do it, isn't there? You want to look at it, but it, it's bad for you, you know it, and it's painful. His face shone like that and his, his, his clothes white, shining. <laughs> the brilliant and you know, it's just this, the bright glory of, the light of the glory of God. It's what's going to light heaven. I've heard this, I've heard this passage described and taught on before, and it's, th that event is described as a miracle while he was shining. I'm telling you, the miracle is that he didn't shine all the time. Walking around with those guys, having dinner, healing people in the marketplace. It could have been this, you know, everywhere he went. There's a little boy in me that sees a science fiction movie in everything. It's a miracle he didn't shine all the time. And every now and then, the disciples were able to see this little peek into the unveiled Jesus. It's a little tiny sliver. This, this book we're studying, the book of Revelation, um, in the Greek translation of this book is Apocalypsis, from which we get our word apocalypse. And if you would look up the word apocalypse in the dictionary, or it comes up in conversation, our contemporary um, definition of that word is um, of an idea of uh, the destruction of the earth, the end of the, you know, after the destruction, you know, Mad Max movies, those are apocalyptic movies after the earth has somehow been destroyed. That's what we think of when we think of the word apocalypse. But the actual correct translation of that word actually means unveiling. In fact, some of you, if, if, you, if some of your Bibles, in some translations, it'll say the revelation, and in parentheses, it'll say the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's an unfortunate that our, that our culture has kind of lost what the word apocalypse means because um, this, this is, this, the revelation is not, the book, the revelation is not about end times destruction of the earth. It's about the unveiling of Jesus. It's about the glory and why he came to do what he did. That's what the book is really about. That's why I said before, it's a great book for, for new believers to read. You've got to have some help with it, but um, it's not easy, it's easy to understand, although it's, it's understandable. Heaven is heaven. When we get there, we're going to see this unedited, unveiled glory of God. Okay, a third characteristic about heaven is activity. 
stuff going on, activity. One big question I get a lot when people are talking about heaven is, you know, what are we going to do in heaven? You know, because we've talked about this in earlier weeks because it worries some people because they have misconceptions that have to do with clouds and harps and wings. That somehow, that, you know, but as we work our way through the text, there are a lot of actions that are going on that we'll see. Uh, walk, we're going to be walking, verse 24, we're gonna, which I think suggests that we're going to be coming and going. There are gates there. There's going to be angels there. We're going to be coming and going um, places, probably in and out of the city. Probably, maybe we're going to be exploring the earth and maybe the heavens. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't go into that kind of detail. Another thing that we're going to be doing is we're, we're going to be bringing honor and glory. Now, I take that to mean... Um, praise and worship in some capacity, I think. Another, another verb that says something we're going to be doing is in verse uh, uh, 3, serve. Serve is another word. It's an action. We'll be serving him. And a fourth thing is that we'll be reigning with him. Okay, so those are just, that's just a sampling of some of the things that are going on. Sadly, I think, some people think that heaven is just going to be this long season of eternal boredom to tears, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they view themselves as somehow as this fun-loving person, but God is this cosmic killjoy. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, I'm really a fun person, and, you know, so the worst thing that could possibly happen to me would be to, you know, become a Christian, because then somehow you lose all your joy. You ever heard that idea, that concept? It couldn't be further. And here's, in fact, the, the Bible speaks of the Christian life as it says, it calls it an abundant life. Heaven's described as this place of abundant joy and fun and exhilaration. And here's a hint of this in Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound boring? You know, I think there are good reasons that Scripture doesn't explain a lot of detail about heaven, but I think the best reason is the Scripture that says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has for us. Okay, so the, the thing is this. Have you ever had a great experience and tried to share with someone else about that, and they could understand it intellectually, but they didn't really have it down in their soul? God cannot intellectually explain to you in fact, your best experience isn't even close to heaven because it hasn't even, heaven hasn't, what's really there has not even entered into your imagination. I can imagine some pretty cool stuff. It's going to be better. That's, that should be good news. That's, it is good news. So, um, and I, but, so, okay, joy, pleasures, yes. And how's that possible? Well, because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I think there'll be some travel. Moving about, there's going to be worship, there's going to be serving, um, there's going to be serving, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb, uh, lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So part of eternity is going to be about doing things. That's part of doing and serving. Is, is, and I love that because this whole concept that's common in our culture of a separation between sacred and secular, that's gone. That will not exist. There's no compartmentalization of our lives where we're with God for uh, an hour or two on Sunday and then we're secular for the other 160 plus hours a week. Everything we do is worship. Everything, every activity is worship to the Lord. And I believe that that's how God intended for life to be here and now. It will be then. 
Um, all of life can be done to the glory of God. All of it can be worshipful. So we're going to feel um, immense pleasure, I believe, in serving God and all kinds of different things we're doing. But some people still don't get that, and I, I, I think there's a few reasons why they don't. Um, and, I mean, the thinking that heaven doesn't ever include any work or serving does not match up with some contemporary myth, okay? And I think that's maybe in part because many times for us, the work we do is something we do because we have to, we don't like it. But what does it mean? Okay, so I'm gonna talk about a couple of contemporary myths that work against us understanding this. Myth number one, joy and happiness comes from stuff and power instead of godly character and relationship. That's a myth. I'm not going to teach that out. I'm just going to tell you it's a myth. Myth number two, heaven is about supplying us with the, with the stuff in myth number one. That's what we think. That's what, the, that's what culture thinks. Um, myth number one is we'll be happy if I got all the money I need so I can buy my own desert island and a corporate jet and a pilot to fly me. Okay? So we think that that's myth number two is that heaven's going to be here's your jet, here's your island, have fun, wear your suntan lotion. You know, that's the myth. So it's golf, every morning, every noon, every night. Now, for some of you, that's hell. I don't know. If that for you would be hell, then substitute cat grooming or whatever it is that you would like to do. <laughs> okay. Myth number three, here's one that contradicts our culture, which our culture says you work all your life so that you can get to, um, and, and the reward at the end is retirement. And, and retirement is where you take this really, really long vacation. That's what the culture suggests to us, right? And so we think heaven's got to be this really, really long eternal vacation. I think there will be the pleasures of the really long eternal vacation, the restfulness, the like, the, the freedom, the, the, the absence of all the stuff that you need vacation because of. That won't be wearing on you all of the time. But our God, who knows you better and loves you better than you know yourself and can love yourself, knows also that part of rewarding you is to, um, to give you opportunities to be a partner with him and to serve with him, whatever that means. And you're going to love it. Fourth characteristic of the eternal city is diversity. I'm going to show you this in Revelation um, 21, verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. This, this word here, nations, um, the Greek word is ethne, from which we get our word ethnic. And it's basically, if we stick that into it, and the ethnic groups who are saved will walk in its light. Most of the times you see this word translated in the Greek New Testament, it's translated in your Bible, it says Gentiles, okay? It's translated as the non-Jewish people or Gentiles, the nations. The point here is this, heaven is not just for one little group of people. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This invitation is wide open. There are going to be people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, 
we, we were in this way back earlier in the series. And this is a worship song that's being sung. And here are some lyrics of a worship song that are being sung in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us. So this is a song to God. Redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And it shows up again in Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Here's my point. I I, I believe that all of the cultural variety from all over the world is not going to be lost in heaven. You know, I, I get asked, you know, I get asked questions about this, and here's what I believe. I believe that there will, we will still have individual distinctions in heaven, just, just as Jesus did when he rose from the dead. He was still a Jewish male in his resurrected body. And so there was a distinction there. And he was different, but he was still that as he encountered people. Remember, there are stories about him walking on the road, and they didn't recognize him, and then they recognized him, but he was still a Jewish male walking on the road. And so today we think about Jerusalem, you know, our Jerusalem that we know in Israel. It's this divided city, and it's, there's all this contention going on there, in there and outside there about it, right? There's a lot of, but the new Jerusalem is not going to be, it's going to be united. It's going to be multiracial, multi-ethnic, with, um, with ethnic distinctions, and we're not going to resist those differences. We're going to enjoy them. Fifth characteristic, final one about the eternal city is vitality. Vitality. 22 verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Okay, think of this as like white, clear, crystal, glimmering, perfect, sparkling. Here's marketing talk, you know, cool, refreshing water. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let me back up and read that again and help you with one word that's, that's kind of got a sad translation. It's not the best translation. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street is what uh, this, this translation path is probably a better it'll help if you're trying to picture this this is hard to picture if you see a street with reed with trees and and on either side of the river was the tree of life so so the other side of this path river's got its path either side and in the middle you see these trees it's the tree of life many many trees and each tree yielding its fruit every month that doesn't mean different kinds of trees yielding different kinds of fruit okay don't read into that um, then the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is Main Street Heaven, and it's this garden-like environment. There's a, there's a beautiful psalm that kind of dovetails with this, and here's part of it, uh, Psalm 46. This is David talking. He said, There's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. This, this city is this beautiful paradise like garden, I think it's probably going to be really like what the Garden of Eden was, what the original paradise was. Paradise, you know, you, you, you know that word. Jesus was on the cross, and one of the two thieves basically said, save me. 
And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Same word. That word uh, in Luke 22 that Jesus said there, um, the, the Aramaic word that he said was, is, it, is, it was translated, it was actually a word that came from Persian word. And uh, the, the literal meaning of the original Persian root word there is a walled garden, a park for us. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What a beautiful picture of heaven. This city with walls and gates and a garden is paradise. And notice in verse 2, it says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, that poses a problem for some. You look at that and you go, wait a minute, why do the nations need to be healed because there's no curse? That would be a problem, right? And again, here's where a translation can maybe help us a little bit. The best rendering isn't healing, I think, um, in the sense of somebody's sick and they need to be healed. The word here is therapeia. Therapeia, okay? It, it, it's, it's the word from which we get our word therapy. The word literally means well-being or vitality. Vitality. And it's not like the nations are sick because there is no death, no sorrow, no pain. Revelation 21 tells us. It's because, and, 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 and the reason that those aren't present is because there's no longer any curse. They, they don't need to be healed because of any curse. That's gone. It's simply because it's for their vitality, their therapeia, their well-being. One of the sources that I study is the pulpit commentary. And here's, I'm gonna, here's a quote from the pulpit commentary about this. The tree of life is put forward as the means by which the perpetual health and life and general well-being of the inhabitants are sustained. Could be. It's helpful for me to consider that's a possibility. So, the Bible the Holy Scriptures opens up with a garden and it closes with a garden. It opens up with paradise lost and it closes with paradise regained. It opens up with with man banished from the tree of life and it closes with people invited to partake of the tree of life. I, I... I see, this, I see this pattern here where the entire history of the world hinges on three trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, both of those are found in Genesis 2. And the third is the tree upon which Jesus was hung on Calvary's hill a couple thousand years ago. That first tree took away man's spiritual life. You know, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. You know your scripture. And man died spiritually that day when he took of that tree and ate in violation of God's command to him. The second tree, the tree of life, threatened to keep man in that separated from God condition forever if they were to have eaten of it in their fallen state. The third tree, the tree at Calvary, makes it possible to have life restored again. And through all of that, I just want to ask this question. Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you know that your forever and ever and ever ability to live in heaven has been purchased for you in spite of your sin and your separation from God? If you don't know that, I want to tell you that it's available today for free. You simply say, I'm one of the separated because of sin in my life. 
and I can't unseparate from God, but I would love, I would love it, God, if you would make it possible. And his, his answer is yes, Jesus is my answer. Scripture says all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And so we're going to pray, and um, I always give opportunities, and we're going to pray in a minute, and I'm talking to you now. I'll be praying with you in a minute. But I always give an opportunity, I try to remember, if you've never opened your heart to the Lord, you don't know what today holds. I hope you don't get hit by a meteorite between here and your car. Nobody does. That never happens here. But we don't know, really. All jokes aside, we don't know what, what, what tomorrow holds. And there is a point where it's too late to appeal to God for salvation and eternity. And we don't know when that, the point of too lateness comes. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm inviting you, if you wanted to be a part of our family, to do that, that's fine. But I'm offering to you the opportunity to say, okay, I want to settle eternity. I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't want to be in the alternative. It's terrible. And you do that by calling on the name of Christ. You believe with your heart, and you confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. So the way you do that is you share with someone. That's why when I'm praying, I say, hey, if you want to do that, look up at me and hand wave. That's sharing your faith of salvation. And I'll pray with you. That's it. I'm not going to call you and go, hey, look at this person. I'm not going to do that with you. I wouldn't do that. I would never humiliate somebody like that. And for some of you, you need to do that, though. You need to share with someone. I'm telling you all this now because I think someone here needs to hear these things. We love you, and we want you saved. I don't want a single person here to miss heaven. So open your heart if you haven't. Let's pray. God, today, thank you for your majesty. The fact that you are light and you are love. And those are not just literary concepts. They're facts that are beyond our understanding. But they're good facts and they're loving facts. So Lord, fill us with an understanding that you love us as you call us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that today there would be a sense of anticipation among us, your children, about our future. Thank you, God, that it's so good it can't be contained even in our own imagination. God, I pray that for those today who are hearing this and they would be on the outside apart from the price you've paid, yet they've never accepted salvation. So they are on the outside. Lord, that your spirit would be speaking to hearts right now and that there would be this, they would be, they would have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Let that happen, Lord, I pray. While we're praying with eyes closed, I want to look around. Is there anyone here that wants to make that confession and let me pray with you right now? Just give me a little hand wave. Saw it. God bless you. Any others? God bless you too. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Scripture does say that when a single soul is saved, that the angels rejoice in heaven, so there is good cause because good things have happened here this morning. Thank you for that. I think the vast majority of us, Lord, know you already, but thank you, Lord, for the two or more here that have, have signaled you and said, I am separated and I don't want to be anymore. It's they're not. Your word says, Lord, that, they, that they're now, their name is written. And I thank you for that assurance. Amen. And Lord, I pray for all of us, but especially those who are new in the kingdom in these moments, that you would speak to us with your spirit. You would lead us. Your scripture says that you order the steps of the righteous. Help us to find our way, Lord, um, to you, 
to, to find our way to pleasing you, to understanding you and knowing you. Thank you that, that you love us, that you cover us, and Lord, that you will lead us. I pr- and I th- pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand, church? We're going to...